Nobias Nutrition is learning about intersectionality, and we're not mad about it. This is a one-hour food fight against diet culture and its fake science messages. Instead, we're passionate about celebrating real wellness. I'm registered dietitian Hannah McGee. And I'm neuroscience PhD student Tarek Youssef, and this is No BS Nutrition. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the No BS Nutrition Podcast. We're so happy to have you here. I was just showing Tarek that I'm wearing my period, period, period sweatshirt for all of the people who menstruate today because I just, <laughs> I you know, just it's can't. So weird. You know, so we often think about how, um, um, this sounds like a tangent, but it's not. We often think about how bad it is that certain corporations have monopolies on an industry. Right. Right? Like, we think about how, like, oh, Walmart takes away from big businesses, or we think about how Amazon's taking away from local shopping. Right. Moving everything online. Um, but we never think about how, like, some authors have, like, monopolies in their industry. You know right. I mean? uh, yeah, I've never so thought about I, that. <clears throat> there actually are a lot of really awesome, inclusive... Uh, and if you're looking for them, female authors that write fantasy, um, Octavia Butler, Ursula K. Le Guin are two that I've read. Okay. But there's so many more. And I think um, this is a great opportunity for us to just, with the new generation, stop reading them the Harry Potter books and just read them really awesome other Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Um, I mean... I was actually thinking about this earlier when I put my sweater on and I was thinking about um, that tweet that that author put out. <laughs> um, and it reminded me because um, like I, I figured we would touch on this on the podcast, but um, that like we've talked about Harry Potter on the podcast before. Remember we? Oh, like, yeah, that's true. We sorted ourselves. Yeah. And now we're sorting ourselves. Totally. Again. We're totally sorting ourselves. We're sorting again. it out. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. There is like a, you know, there's that debate of like separate the artist from the art. You know what I mean? Like right. the art now belongs to the public. And right. I don't know. I, I'm sure. I don't know. I'm not like the end all arbiter for that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but there were so many other things that I hadn't thought about before that people were bringing up. Like how the one Asian character in the whole series, she decided to call Cho I Chang, saw that which tweet. I'd never thought about yeah. before. I was like again I didn't that yeah. wasn't I didn't really read Harry Potter or, or and I did watch the movies once we've talked about this but I don't really remember so everyone who hasn't read Harry Potter like, or I watched haven't. the movies is like <laughs> you know what like I knew the whole time yeah I'm so woke like <laughs> yeah. that is why yeah. I didn't read <laughs> Harry Potter <laughs> Like, finally, those people who were, like, berated for not being cool yeah, for so like, long because they weren't joining the bandwagon yeah. are like, well, <laughs> look at yourself now. <laughs> totally. I know. I saw that, too. So funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. I was also thinking, there are a couple of tweets like this, too, and I felt this way. They were like, you know, like, last week, I was just, like, a mild-mannered, like, Twitter user, and now I'm a... Uh, police abolitionist and a communist <laughs> <laughs> like just one week Jeez. later after like some intensive yeah, um, no kidding. some intensive soul searching and learning and listening um so but i mean to say that that conversation about um harry potter drove um i guess a little bit of um it mobilized some more um trans pro like trans activism i guess like there were some donations being made to uh trans supporting charities and and things like that um so that was i guess that was like a good thing to yeah come out of it, is that some charities got highlighted and some donations Absolutely. were made and, oh yeah that's good to hear yeah, to serve like underserved trans right people. all right so this week we are doing something a little bit different is that right t i know i'm nervous i i don't like change oh don't things. be nervous <clears throat> i also feel like um this is, I don't know, this is either season two, episode 11. 
or it's season three, episode one. Yeah, we haven't really. Our season one was ten yeah. episodes, so yeah, we. Um, I don't know if they're going to be ten episode batches or not. We didn't decide I don't know this if that yet really means or discuss anything. this yet. But I was thinking, honestly, we'll have this discussion. Um, <laughs> I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is like, "You're part of yeah. this." Like, if this is a town Weigh hall. In, we want to like. At, we're like, just imagine we're like at the dinner table, right. you know, just like yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was thinking. I think we should kind of keep it going with season two. Like, I th- I think right. season one was like we've we've talked about it was kind of our trial run. We were testing things out. It was our first time podcasting. Where you know we were just getting a feel for it, and so we did ten episodes, and then we took a break, and mm-hmm. then we came back. But I feel like yeah. we're kind of on a roll right now. I feel like we're yeah. on a roll. I also would love like if we were to do something like it's season three now. I would love it to be like you know graphic designers slide into yeah, the absolutely. DMs like rebranding yeah, yeah. like I'm, something I'm cool that. something different. yeah we'll keep going with season two for now i think we're we've got a good groove going and then totally we'll like when we when we're ready for season three we'll like we'll totally have a little rebrand yeah so definitely give us some totally. recommendations if yeah if you know some graphic designers or the podcast is going to be in 3d oh my god hologram <laughs> podcast first in the world <laughs> kickstarter the help world. us <laughs> oh my god um so yeah hannah was alluding to the fact that yeah. i um I'm trying to like shake things up. We are shaking things uh, up. There is. If you're if you're nervous about that, just like hold my hand through this. Like take a deep breath. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Take a deep breath. Prepare yourselves. So uh, yeah, everybody, please sit down. If you're driving, like pull over. (laughs) This is (laughs) this is going to be huge. Um, uh, It would normally be my week to do a BS of the week again. Like put your foot on the brake. Like center yourselves, hands on your knees, take a yeah. deep breath, feel every part of your body. Um, this week, I want to do something different. I want to do um, my first, I'm going to call it my brain bite. So this is brain bite it. number one. So the reason for this is, um, you know, I research neuroscience and um, I kind of, I often find these topics that I want to talk about that aren't necessarily uh, BS topics, mm-hmm. but they're neuroscience topics about nutrition or like research in nutrition that kind of takes a neuroscientific perspective and obviously i want to i love promoting nutrition information on here with hannah um and i but i also was thinking like i am really interested in promoting more neuroscience literacy um so it would be good to i don't know try this interesting segment hopefully and um I recently found a paper, a really recent paper, just came out on 22nd of April, um, called Long-Term Dietary Flavonoid Intake and Risk of Alzheimer's Disease and Related Dementias in the Framingham Offspring Cohort. So there was this, the Framingham Offspring Cohort is um, an ongoing longitudinal study, so it means it, it's happening over a span of a very long time, years, years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's looking at people's health outcomes mm-hmm. uh, with relation to a bunch of lifestyle factors. Right. Um, so this was just published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition a couple weeks ago. Um, and I am, I when I was writing this up, I was like, okay, like keep it to 10 minutes or whatever. Like, um, yeah, just like short, like really like hit them where, uh, you know, where it's interesting. Um, so I'm going to, I have, but I've made a lot of notes, okay. unfortunately, so I'm going to try to go fast, but I'm sorry if it's a little oh bit Oh my God, don't be I sorry. Thought. Go for okay. it. Brain bite. So brain bite. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sound yeah. effects. Oh my God. We, we have sound effects for it. It's like crunch. Brain bite. Oh my God, brain bite. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Alzheimer's and related diseases are called dementias mm-hmm. and related diseases called dementias are Diseases where the patient suffers from symptoms, you know, kind of related to deteriorating capacity of the brain. So you see memory loss, personality changes, maybe the other consequences that ultimately lead to the patient losing the ability to care for themselves at the most extreme circumstance. Mm -hmm. So this is when we need people to live in long-term care home facilities where there's staff who can constantly look out for them if a family member can't do that thing. So they are really, uh, they can be very detrimental diseases. So Alzheimer's is the most common form of dementia, of these like memory loss, brain impairment diseases. And currently the most effective way to diagnose Alzheimer's is actually through post-mortem analysis of the brain. So 
it's very difficult for us to tell if someone has Alzheimer's. Well, we can clinicians can uh, presume that somebody has Alzheimer's because of the symptomology, okay. but to ab- absolutely prove that it's definitely Alzheimer's, uh, we actually need to look at the anatomy yeah. of the brain <clears throat> and uh, the cases. There are some imaging. There is some imaging research that's trying to allow us to diagnose this while people are still yeah. alive. Uh, <clears throat> but the most effective way currently is to look at the brain in actuality. And unfortunately, we have to wait until that person right. passes. So what we're looking for are physical clusters of proteins. So these proteins kind of clump together and they, they, we call them plaques and tangles. Yeah. And you find them in and around the brain cells, the neurons. And these little literal clumps you can imagine when they build up, disrupt the regular functioning of the brain. So they don't allow neurons to communicate as they normally would. And they can lead to things like, uh, you know, the death of those neurons. Right. So there's a lack of communication between the different brain cells. And then they end up dying. So this brain atrophy happens. And that is the reason why the brain decreases in its normal right. functioning in Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. Yep. And you get all these symptoms. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, not because not just because of the complex uh, the complexity of the disease uh, has it been difficult to diagnose, but it's also been very difficult to find effective mm. treatments. <clears throat> so the study actually cites that by 2050, 14 million Americans are likely to have Alzheimer's disease. Wow! Um, because people are living longer, and it's a disease that seems to be associated with um, age, progressive yeah. age. So one thread that the research has been tugging at is knowing the risk factors for Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. And of course, in this vein, the research has been conducted on, there has been previous research on how diet might influence uh, the development of Alzheimer's and related dementias. So probably the diet that gets the most press, I think. Um, And I mean, diet as in like what we eat, not dieting for weight loss, um, is the Mediterranean diet. Um, so probably people have like, if they're not aware of what the Mediterranean diet, I think like, it's probably the, would you say Hannah, it's the diet that gets the most press? Oh, absolutely. Uh, in terms of health? In terms of health. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's the most well-researched as well, um, in terms right. of a lot of health outcomes. And we kind of touched on that in our intermittent fasting episode because I kind of compared yeah. the, you know, the outcomes of intermittent fasting to the Mediterranean diet. Um, so yeah, I would right. say yes, for sure. So Apparently, the Mediterranean diet, and I'm going back to the title of the article here, is really high in uh, compounds called flavonoids. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Mediterranean diet is high in the consumption of things like olive oil, beans, fruits, vegetables, fish, uh, moderate consumption of wine. And flavonoids are found, different kinds of flavonoids are found in, found in these yeah. foods. So, what is a flavonoid? So, it's actually, it's a plant chemical. There's a very diverse array of them. Partly responsible for the color, the pigmentation yep. of fruits and vegetables. And through research, it's been shown that flavonoids can actually interact with the me- molecular mechanisms in our cells responsible for preventing cell death. So flavonoids might actually be binding to specific receptors that are changing the way uh, that cells end up deciding whether or not they're going to continue living or die. There's also research that shows that they have antioxidant okay, properties. Yeah. So basically, they would, for people listening, they would be targeting uh, harmful chemicals called reactive oxygen species that might um, be promoting cell death, cell death yeah. when we don't want right. cell death. And they might be somehow... Um, taking away the function of those reactive oxygen species. The research on flavonoids seems to show that rather they might be having these antioxidant effects, but it's probably a more direct relationship between the actual molecular mechanisms in the cells and how they lead to cell death or not. Uh, there's also research to show that uh, flavonoids are acting on the immune system in order to help prevent excessive cell death as well. Cool. Um, so when I, back in my day, a long time ago, um, I actually did some of this research myself. So I looked at the effects of a flavonoid called epigallocatechin-3-gallate. So it's a EGCG for short, and it's found in green tea. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the effect of its... 
uh, of it being able to decrease the autoimmune action found in uh, a mouse model of multiple sclerosis. Oh. So in, in MS, the immune system is overactive. Sometimes that's called an autoimmune disease yep. or disorder. And it seems like flavonoids might have a way of um, stopping that autoimmune activity by affecting the immune system for healthier outcomes. So it's kind of the same idea that flavonoids might be working to reduce cell right. death. Um, so I, I, this, was, this topic was very interesting to me. I want to talk about it because I kind of had an idea of how it all worked a little bit anyway. So, so basically, so what now? So there's a lot of research in mice, obviously, about all of this. Um, and what's been done in humans is really preliminary. So that's where this um, paper wanted to go. They wanted to look at some human yeah. data. So they were really lucky that there's this ongoing study already taking place, uh, the Framingham study that I mentioned before. And one of the things that the Framingham study recorded, excuse me, is um, the participants' dietary intake. So they could look at dietary intake and then correlate that to um, the incidence of Alzheimer's disease in this cohort of people. And I'm talking a lot of people, like there is over 5,000 people well, in this uh, Framingham study. <clears throat> and actually, it's gone through generations now. So the Framingham study now incorporates not only the initial cohort of people, but their children. Well, so that's what I was curious, because the, the name Framingham... Um, I recognized immediately in my mind because I don't know if you've ever heard of, and I'm sure some people listening may have heard of it, but the Framingham risk score. And basically that mm -hmm. is like, um, you do, it's almost like a little questionnaire and you based on certain modifiable risk factors or like lifestyle factors, it calculates your risk for like having a, I believe, I don't want to be wrong, but I, if I can remember right, it's your risk for having like a cardiovascular event. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it, we, I'm it must be, um, I feel like for, it's probably Maybe the same it's Framingham. It's the same study. Or, yeah, yeah. Probably, yeah. Sorry, keep going. Um, no, no, no. Yeah. So they, um, so they collected data from, they collected the data of participants that were free of Alzheimer's disease and related uh, dementias at their first assessment, and then were of an appropriate age at a baseline level to see the risk of Alzheimer's disease by around 70 years of okay. age at present day in the study. Um, and remember, it's an ongoing study, so there's hopefully going to be more data yeah. coming out of this about this kind of thing. So there was a questionnaire that recorded the frequency of foods consumed over the past 12 months, um, and they were assessed every four years. Um, so there's a list of like 126 foods on the list that people were checking off, and you check off around how much you eat of it, mm -hmm. of a serving size. Um, you could also write in some foods that weren't on the list. So they tried to be as comprehensive as possible. Um, you know, it can never be perfect with, um, you know, self-assessment or self-reporting. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but they did try to be pretty comprehensive. Um, and participants were also asked to provide information on whether or not they used dietary supplements, the breakfast cereals that they always ate, uh, the types of fats and oils used, um, the frequency of consumption of fried foods. So... There's a lot of data that can be used for different yeah. outcomes, uh, for looking at different outcomes. So the other uh, arm of the study, uh, participants were also assessed for the development of uh, Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. Um, and this was established through a variety of different methods. Um, there were there was testing done, for example. So if there was a decline in test scores of um, like a neuropsychological test, um, conducted every four-year period, then those people were referred. Those participants were referred to a physician, um, and the participants were then further assessed for symptoms of dementia or, more specifically, Alzheimer's by those clinicians. Right. So basically, uh, what they found was individuals with the highest intake of flavonoids and related compounds. They assessed a bunch of different; those, they're called phytochemical compounds. Yep. Um, ended up having lower risk for Alzheimer's disease and related dementias relative to the individuals with the lowest intakes. Right. So they kind of saw a similar uh, similar trend. So that was just for related dementias. Right. They also saw a similar trend for the incidence of Alzheimer's disease specifically okay. with the consumptions of with the consumption of uh, chemicals related to right. flavonoids. Um, 
And altogether, they kind of saw these decreases at around 30%, which, although not all of the the correlations were statistically significant, there did seem to be this trend of at least around 30% of a decline in incidence rate of mm-hmm. Alzheimer's disease if you were at the very highest end of consumption okay. of flavonoids okay. and related compounds, kind of these foods that are um, best known for being part of the Mediterranean right. diet. So obviously, there's lots of limitations to this study. Uh, of course, not just because of the self-reporting um, of the nutrition questionnaires. The size of the cohort is really good, but of course, we'd want <laughs> it's like always terrible. But you always want more people, even yeah. if there's thousands. Um, the thing to take in mind, another thing to consider, which actually the authors cited, is that the incidence of Alzheimer's disease was relatively low. It was like in the low hundreds. Wow. So they didn't have a group like a very, very large incidence of Alzheimer's disease that they could um, find really high statistical significant uh, correlations for. Um, So you almost want a bigger starting group so that, I mean, unfortunately, it sounds kind of glib, but so that more people might have the chance of developing Alzheimer's disease so that you can actually see those mathematical correlations with more uh, statistical power. Um. So something I thought that was interesting to, to keep in mind was that, and this is something we touch on a lot, so rel- this is a quote, relative to those people in the lowest category of flavonoid intake, participants with the highest intake were older, um, more likely to be women, educated, physically active, consumed more calories, and have an o- had an overall better diet quality. Mm-hmm. Um so what this tells me is that people who were consuming more flavonoids or like foods more related to the Mediterranean diet were people who, well, for one, cared more about just like the common approaches to healthy right. lifestyle, including movement and healthier diet. And there's they didn't look at and see they controlled for these kinds of things when they looked at the correlations. But the reality is that just being physically active, being an educated woman, like those are not the only uh, confounding variables to, um, I don't know, privileged lifestyles right. of a high socioeconomic bracket. There's so many Absolutely. other things that uh, we ought to consider when trying to f- tease out yeah. these correlations between whether or not flavonoids actually re- lead to reduced risk of right. Alzheimer's disease. So, yes, they did control for some things. Their statistical models were, um, you know, made with some conservatism. Uh, and by that, I mean that they weren't just trying to, they weren't trying to like bluff their way to finding statistical significance in their correlations. They were trying to control for variables they thought would be important to control for, like whether or not somebody who consumed more flavonoids, in fact, was just exercising more. So they ended up being, they ended up just having less Alzheimer's disease incidence right. because they were just generally right. healthier. They did try to control for those things, but I'm just saying that there's a lot more so variables many. than that. Yeah. Um, so obviously, of course, an article like this comes out, it leads to popular science articles with clickbait yep. titles like, so I'm just grabbing a headline here, this small diet change can have major brain boosting benefits. Here's why you need to start adding berries, apples and tea to your diet ASAP. So I don't know, the, the person who wrote this shouldn't be like completely chastised for it, but it is clickbait. Totally. Um, I don't, first of all, I don't know if the study found brain boosting effects. The, right. They looking what is for that. brain they boosting? Oh God, it just sounds like. <laughs> can you call, yeah, can you call potential decreased risk for Alzheimer's Boosting a brain your brain? Boost? Yeah. Clickbait. I don't know. Um, and yes, there seems to, and this is like for once I'm saying like, oh, there's a dietary change and maybe there is actually some real like positive effect like related to a very specific health outcome we're only talking about decreased risk of alzheimer's here i'm not talking about anything else right so maybe these foods high in flavonoids might decrease the risk of alzheimer's disease there's a lot of work still to be done about this sort of but i i i don't i still think this 
title is very clickbaity. I saying agree. like you need to start adding yes. these foods to your diet ASAP. The paper also showed that those people with high incidences of flavonoid intake were taking part in other healthy lifestyle Absolutely. choices. Yes, they did control for those statistically and still found an effect of the flavonoids at some sure. in some circumstances, not all. But there's other things that we didn't test yeah. for. So I, 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 I do think the title is clickbaity. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of science communication like, f- um, is... Uh, vulnerable to this kind of pitfall. Yeah, like they, they, you know, it's it's very surface level mm-hmm. without explaining the complexities. Yeah, it just kind of pinpoints. And I think there's a way to one, do it in between. You know, one study or like kind of drags like what one and study just pushes said. It to the yeah, extreme. exactly, and just kind of makes makes a connection, but almost blows it out of proportion. Like eat these foods. To I think there's a middle ground. exactly. Yeah, and and we've talked exactly. about this so, before. Yeah. Um, and I know you said they that they controlled somewhat for you know the the healthy lifestyle behaviors, but like you said, there's just so many other factors that that they didn't control for, they you really can't are. control for, or that it's really difficult to control for that you have to consider yeah. as well. So, yeah, and again, I will say they did not find statistical significance for the specific incidence of Alzheimer's disease, just for other okay. related dementias. So, but there was a trend. So that there's room to grow this research, yeah. I think. And I do think it's very oh, interesting. Oh, absolutely. And it, it makes sense to me um, that, you know, those are, they are powerful compounds like flavonoids. And so, so, it, so it's, you know, that doesn't surprise me that that's something that they found a correlation between. Yeah. But yeah, yeah like you said, I think there's definitely there- room for more um, developments. If anybody's interested in learning about flavonoids, um, one thing that uh, I always found very interesting is that one of the major theories about why they're, um, you know, maybe um, beneficial to our health because they're found in a lot of these like fresh plant foods, foods yeah. like yeah, plant foods, is that there's a theory anyway, and I don't know too much about it, but there's a theory that humans evolved alongside the, alongside these foods and cultivated foods that were more likely to be beneficial to right. them as they were evolving. Right. So we were, throughout time, through the development of agriculture, selecting the foods that were giving us the, the most Almost benefits. like doing our own research, like, through exactly. like, yeah, experience. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. This food makes me feel yeah. better. I'm going to plant more right. of these. Oh, this one batch, like, was really tasty. Yeah. I'm going to plant more yeah. of this batch. So there is this kind of theory. So if you're interested in that kind of... Um, evolutionary biology sort of thing go check it cool. out anyway that was my crunch brain bite, brain bite. <laughs> i love that that was super super interesting um i hope i mean i found it really interesting i'm sure everyone listening did too that's um yeah i i let us know guys what you think we're we're thinking about um trying to incorporate these brain bites more often um yeah i would enjoy kind of doing like them a, i mean yeah. there's a lot of nutrition and neuroscience exactly stuff. So, yeah and i can speak to the neuroscience a i love little bit. it um, um so i'd be happy to yeah do. we definitely want to like we definitely want to keep the bs of the week i think going as well so maybe we'll alternate definitely. or something like that yeah. because we're still like every week getting people sending in recommendations for bs of the week yeah. so we'll and please yeah, keep sending them absolutely. in so yeah we'll figure out a way to incorporate both and please tell us if that was if you yeah, like that absolutely or if you yeah, we want it. your feedback yeah so yeah. now jumping into our our second topic of um, yeah. of this week's episode, we and I'm sure you can tell from the title of the episode, um, we, yeah. we want to talk about <laughs> diet culture red flags or you know diet culture in disguise. So things that you can look for, whether you're on social media or um, you know you're looking for a gym to join or a fitness program to sign up for or anything like that. You're looking for a healthcare professional that, that works for you and your needs. Um, these are some things that, you know, you can look for just, I guess to just to kind of weed out if, if they're truly, um, aligned with what you need. And so, I mean, assuming, you know, you're listening to this podcast, it might be in line with kind of an, a non-diet approach. And, and we want to talk about this because the, you know, non-diet, anti-diet 
movement and intuitive eating and health at every size, these things have gained a lot of popularity in the last few years. And because of that, I, I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people recognize the term like diet culture and, and they associate it with something, you know, negative or something that people are speaking out against. But I'm not sure that everyone fully understands what it is and what it means. And same with non-diet and same with intuitive eating and health at every size. And, and therefore, I think a lot of people also, because they're trendy, are using these terms or, they're or speaking them, out against yeah. them. They're co-opting them to, you know, kind of further their business or sell things or whatever it is. Um, and they may not necessarily actually be aligned with these things. Um, and, and that, you know, we're not, again, we're not pointing fingers. We're not saying they're bad. They, you know, it may just be a misunderstanding. They haven't done enough research. So we just want to kind of point out some things that, you know, we've seen floating around on social media, on um, other platforms that are, you know, we've kind of noticed are a bit of a red flag in terms of, um, I don't know, selling or helping people um, and, you know, maybe disguising themselves um, you know, they're saying they're anti-diet or, you know, they're against diet culture, but then they're still promoting certain things that may be harmful to someone who's looking to get away from those things. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Um, I, I made a list myself of like things that I usually think of. Okay. So I wonder how much overlap. We're Maybe we have. can like go back and forth like one and, and the other. Yeah. So, okay. You start. I love that. Okay. So I think for me, one of the biggest red flags for, and I, Usually, I think of Instagram accounts because when you go to Instagram and you look at someone's profile, you can, I mean, it's kind of like yeah. judging a book by its cover. Um, but it's a pretty important cover, I think. Like, if you're tr trying to tell people that you're going to be helping yeah. them with their health or nutrition, like, it's a, it, I think it's pretty important to make a very right, good totally. first impression. And yeah, so something that I, usually think of uh, that makes a bad first impression on me is when an account has like they're advertising very few and very simple tips for uh, better health that align with diet so like when it's something like cut out this food you know what i mean like a really like you in in there yeah, something like that's really just super simple. simple yeah thing to do Exactly. Like, cut out bread. Like, any time I see an account that says, like, cut this out or start eating this, um, I all, that always makes a bad first impression on me. Because we've talked about it before, and Hannah, you talk about it a lot. It's like, there is no cut and right. dry perfect diet yeah. for every single person. So whenever you make really um, generalized whenever somebody makes generalized statements like that like cut this out or add this or do this one yeah. thing for better health outcome I always think okay so you're not really at least to me you're not showing that you understand that there can totally, be totally in this, uh, in taking I, yeah care that's of such health. a good one and that reminds me of on TikTok for a little while I was like duetting or like responding to people's like weight loss tips on um on tiktok they'd create videos saying like this is what i did to lose yeah. the weight and they and you know so like giving other people tips on how to lose weight or on how to be healthy or whatever it was that they were talking about and i would duet them and just be like this is you know the caption would be like dietitian reacting to um so and so's health tips or something and one of them nice. is just that I remember was this guy who had lost a lot of weight and he was sharing, you know, how he lost the weight. And he had like a bunch of videos with just like pointers of like what he did exactly to lose the weight. And this one specifically was like the one, I think there was like a couple, you know, legitimate tips. Like he was exercising regularly, things like that. But then there was like one tip that he like shared and it was like, cut out all potatoes. And I was just like, what like and it was just like get rid of yeah, potatoes yeah. and i was like why like that is like okay that you know you might have cut out potatoes because maybe you were eating potatoes like in ridiculous amounts or in excess, in excess yeah and therefore you lost weight but it's like people don't have to fear potatoes or like eliminate potatoes just to lose weight i don't know so that, yeah. that that's what it reminds me of 
often they're like a really really affordable source of like right like absolutely like, yeah it makes sense for a lot of people to be eating potatoes they they can be really readily yeah. available year round and they're really yeah. affordable generally that i don't like when people especially like if someone says I would be shocked, but if somebody started saying like cut out chia seeds, I'd be like, okay, for once we're like going after <laughs> yeah. really expensive foods that that people yeah. already can't afford. But when people say like cut out pasta or like cut out potatoes, it's like often that's what a lot of people can afford, and it's actually a source absolutely. of like, absolutely, absolutely. Really it's just like the foods that get demonized. Um, I don't know over and over again. Traditionally, potatoes, yeah. white bread, things like that. Canned products. Yeah. Like staples. Yeah. Staples that are really yeah. affordable. Okay. Yeah. So this is my first one. This is a bit of a red flag for me. Someone who says that they promote intuitive eating. Put air quotes because anyways. <laughs> someone that's. <laughs> yeah. If you're watching on YouTube. Someone you says they promote quotes. intuitive. <laughs> you can also see my terrible <laughs> okay. goatee. Sorry, um, someone <laughs> says they promote intuitive eating but then also preach the importance of portion control. And maybe they even share like graphics on social media or videos um, showing you what a true tablespoon of peanut butter is versus like a big spoonful. Like, yeah. So okay. like they're just, saying like, you can eat whatever you want, yeah. but you have to measure it out or you can listen to your body, so, but only if you eat like a, a specific yeah. tablespoon of peanut butter. I'm not, uh, obviously everybody listening knows I always bring up, I'm not a health professional. I'm not a dietitian, but I, I feel that's why I, but I also have no shame in asking questions because like Hannah is such a good teacher and, and I obviously want to learn to me. That's kind of saying like, I hate these tips because it's assuming that you can very quickly make a big change. That's going to like, quote beneficially yeah. affect your health like i it, correct me if i'm wrong hannah but like just like starting out doing extreme portion control is a form of restriction yeah. and it's not something that's going to be sustainable and it really absolutely does as you're saying does not align with the, the like right. principles of intuitive eating and in fact the principles of intuitive eating i think absolve people of trying to very to trying to change anything quickly at all in fact it's supposed to be a very slow process where you start becoming more comfortable with the way that you eat already like destigmatizing yourself and then gently learning more about nutrition and incorporating other healthy lifestyle other healthy lifestyle practices it's not about quickly Quickly making a change overnight okay today is yeah day zero i'm going to start measuring tablespoons Mm -hmm. and then everything's going to be okay I mean, that's the first step to starting an unsustainable. Yeah, and I, change, I totally right? agree with that. And I, I want to, so kind of like what you said, I heard someone describe intuitive eating, like gathering data about your body and your likes and dislikes related to food and what makes you feel good. And then using that data to like inform your decisions moving forward and it's like it's it's it is it's such a slow process to gather this data you know you're not from the start just like eating intuitively perfectly and you know you're over time you're gathering this data and you're yeah you know we don't we haven't talked about that enough but yeah that is a really good point i think it's like and we're so obsessed like our culture in general so it's just quick and fast results want immediate results for everything that maybe people are not um, passionate about or motivated by things that we're telling them up front are going to be slow, incremental things. But that's like, that's such an important part of it. And I think that intuitive eating also gets, because it is associated with health and it's considered like a, an evidence-based, you know, healthy eating practice or pattern, um, people just assume that it's automatically us because we as a society just like associate health with weight loss they assume that intuitive eating is also a weight loss practice when i'm not saying everyone does this but a lot of people do and they're like oh intuitive eating like it must help me lose weight if all these dietitians are saying that it's health promoting and then they do it and they don't lose weight or maybe even they gain weight and then it's like 
fuck this. Like I tried intuitive eating and it didn't work for me. And it's like, actually intuitive eating isn't a weight loss diet at all. It's not, no one's promising weight loss from intuitive eating. And I also want to say kind of in line with that, that not, I know I, you know, I recognize not everyone is not all healthcare professionals and not all wellness influencers are in line with intuitive eating and they don't identify with non-diet approaches to health and wellness. And I'm, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily make them bad, but, um, I don't know. It's just, I think it's just important to say that as well. Like I'm not, we're not calling out those people necessarily, but I'm just, we're just kind of identifying the co like we said, people co-opting these things, co-opting non-diet approaches and co-opting intuitive eating, but then actually promoting or perpetuating things that aren't in line with that. Well, maybe I'm going to say something controversial, but I think in line with that, like, it doesn't phase me if somebody wants to lose weight. Like, you want to lose yeah. weight? Like, okay, like, that, that, that's not my problem. The The problem is that people that are, the problem is people who are stigmatizing yeah. weight gain and stigma and promoting fat phobia. Yeah. That is and the problem. I, and, and promoting diet uh, practices that are ultimately mm. going to be harmful mm. because they're going to affect your health in a negative way. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't... And I mean, this is something that like non-diet dietitians face a lot is like people thinking that if they want to lose weight, like non-diet dietitians are super against them or that they don't like them. And it's, that's not it at all. Like people like non-diet dietitians absolutely understand that a lot of people want to lose weight and, um, exactly. But I think that they recognize that and, and they'll talk to you and they'll, you know, a lot of times it's just like weight loss is not an outcome of focus for non-diet dietitians. Like some, you know, it might happen, but it's not something that we're going to like praise and then um, condemn if it doesn't happen. Right. So. Right. right exactly. Anyways, I don't know where I was going with that. Now I'm all over the place, but. No, no, that's okay. That was really good. I can go. Sure. Go ahead. Next, um, red flag. So another red flag that I always have is um, these people who are promoting whatever form of like health with relation to nutrition are giving out tips or I don't know, talking about some sort of principle or guideline, but don't link a study, for example, or don't link uh, a guideline that's approved by, let's say like uh, uh, the Dietitians Association of Canada. Is that what it's called? Dietitians of Canada. Yeah. Dietitians of Canada, you know what I mean? It's just like something that is anecdotal that maybe Mm. they have experienced throughout their life and has worked for them in whatever way. And that's all the evidence they they are willing to provide. Oh, yeah. That's huge red flag. I love that. Um, Oh, I've seen that all the time. Like, just it's frustrating. That's definitely something as a dietitian. And I think all dietitians, whether you're, um, you know, whether you identify with certain movements or not. Um, I think all dietitians can kind of say that that's something that's a huge red flag. It's just people giving anecdotal advice or saying that, you know, this worked for me, you know, and a lot of times, unfortunately, it's hard to like combat, but a lot of times I see people saying like they give a disclaimer and they say, Mm. I'm going to give my tips for whatever for this, but keep in mind this is just this is what worked for me so it may not work for you but then they go on to say don't eat this don't eat that like only shop in this area of the grocery store things like that and it's like why the disclaimer if you're still gonna go on to like say do this do that don't do this do that like i don't know i think that's an interesting point because it reminds me like Something that's almost even worse is that when somebody, and I've seen this so many times, and I know you've seen it, we've actually talked about this, when they link a really bogus study, and that's what they use as their evidence, and they're obviously not taking a holistic approach to understanding the it's very biased approach. The yeah, they're promoting. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's difficult as well, and sometimes, and I mean, I can, I'm not, an, I'm not, like. I sometimes I'm I'm frustrated with um, evaluating the literature and um, I'm so I'm not the best I'm saying that right now but sometimes it's it's not may not necessarily sometimes it is a bias but sometimes it's just 
also a lack of understanding of how to like evaluate the literature properly. You know, I think both of us have really bettered our skills in that regard. Totally through the podcast. podcast. Yeah. And, through the, we were talking about this at the beginning. Is like the podcast was going to be a learning experience yeah. for us, and it totally has been. I, I think I've become a way better. Uh, I, I've been able to gain some sort of. I've been able to gain more critical skills when me too absolutely uh, yeah literature that I didn't yeah. have before, and I, I know I still have room to grow. Absolutely, me too. Okay, next one. Okay, so something that says all foods fit. And it's kind of similar to the first one, but in moderation. So, like, you can oh, eat whatever yeah. you want, but only in these amounts. I sure. I think that's, like, I don't know. It's just putting limitations on, like, the all-foods-fit approach. It's, like, you can yeah. – and, it, again, it's usually people, like – I don't know. To me, that almost makes it, like, all foods don't fit. Like, I don't know. If you can't yeah, freely yeah. enjoy a food, like – to the point of satisfaction, like if you have to set a limit on how much of it you can eat and like, so say you have a piece of chocolate and you're not satisfied, but that's the limit that was like set out for you. To me, that's like all foods don't fit because you can't eat that food to satisfaction and actually enjoy it. You're just like eating it to say all foods fit, but I don't know. Totally. Yeah, that one, I see that a totally. lot. You know, it's also like, it kind of um, erases the idea that there are, this sounds kind of like wishy-washy, but there's so many different seasons of life. Like, since I've been studying for the exam that I just had, like, health and nutrition was not a priority for me. Like, I yeah. really, like, and I'm not saying that's, like, something, like, everybody, like, don't do that. Like, obviously, prioritize your health and your nutrition. But in that time, I just found it so difficult and so stressful to think no, about absolutely. prioritizing those things. So I really wasn't approaching health and nutrition from uh, a perspective that I usually would like to. And I definitely saw it. Like I was feeling, I'm feeling sluggish. Mm-hmm, I'm feeling tired. Mm-hmm. Like I don't feel active or fit. Like, but I don't know. My priorities were elsewhere. So yeah. the ways in which you consume foods definitely are affected by different things in yeah. your life. And that can change over time. <laughs> And it's okay. I totally agree. I love that term, like, seasons of life. And I use it a lot. (laughs) That, like, there are, there's just different times in your life where you might, yeah, you might um, not. Satisfaction can mean different things. Yeah, and you might not have healthy eating at the forefront, depending on what's going on in your life during a certain week or a certain month. And that's okay. And I think it always comes down to, like, health and wellness what you're doing most of the time versus yeah, yeah. what you're doing like one specific week or one month end of the year. It's totally. really what you're doing most of the time. So if you, yeah, if there's a period in your life where you have a sick family member and you're taking care of them and so you're not necessarily taking as much care of yourself, like that's, and I've mentioned this before, that's almost intuitive because yeah, you're, yeah, it's just right. what's the priority at that time. And so that's totally okay. Totally. And I don't think it's something, you know, to feel bad about or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. It definitely... I mean, I'm so not perfect at intuitive eating or, like, the, the principles behind, like, yeah. removing stigma from myself. But I, it really is an ongoing process yeah. for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, one other thing that uh, is a red flag... Like, really bad, big red flag for me, and I'm surprised, like, some people don't see it as a red flag, maybe, is when someone says, like, scientists and doctors are trying to hide this one tip from from everybody. Oh, you yeah, this I mean? one like, thing that they, they don't tell you. They won't recommend this because it's, like, yeah, it's, like, too controversial, yeah. but it definitely works. Oh, yeah. Um, it also makes me think of, like, kind of in line with that red flag is um, the person who's giving the advice is not an RD or a physician. That's like, a red flag. <laughs> for, for me, anyway, that, that's like a big Oh, red totally. Flag. That's... If I'm specifically trying to take nutrition advice from yeah. somebody, I want them to be accredited for Yeah, yeah, totally. I agree with that. I've seen people give advice on like food intolerances and elimination diets and things like that, and they're, they have no credentials whatsoever, and that's a huge red flag. I mean, absolutely. As a dietitian, as soon as I see someone giving nutrition advice and they don't have any credentials um it's a red flag and i again i don't know i feel like that may not be the case for a lot of people who who just don't know that 
you know, a lot, anyone in certain, in certain provinces and states can call themselves a nutritionist and, you know, anyone can Google something and then start telling other people about it. And I just, it's crazy to me that like, that that reminds me of like the medical medium and like, like this man has no fucking credentials and he he has like like millions of followers and people eat that shit up like he they eat every word he says up and they follow everything he says to a t and it's like this man has no scientific like training like no he's not a healthcare professional nothing and he i don't know that it blows my mind but i cannot believe yeah it's crazy 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 okay um let me see let me look at my list here oh okay this is a good one Anything with the word reset. 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 Have you never heard that? Oh, no, like what? Like reset yes. your body or something? Yes, like sign up for my <laughs> sign up for my 30-day reset or sign up for my four-week reset. <laughs> like reset you're resetting your life. You're resetting your nutrition. I don't get it. The only time, the only the one time <clears throat> that I've seen like an okay use of the word reset was like a non-diet dietitian created and i think she almost did it like to like oppose other resets but she did like a body image reset and it was like so like reframing your mindset around um your body and things like that almost describing like detox right that's no they're like to me they're synonymous like it's it's like you might as well use the word detox like reset detox whatever it's you're resetting your system you're resetting like it just to me it sounds like 30 days of like quote-unquote clean eating and no sugar and blah 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 it also sounds like 30 days of sitting in a puddle of your own shame (laughs) yes (laughs) like yes your whole life you've been a a sinner like yes we need to reset fix yourself yeah Yeah, yeah. fuck i hate that i hate reset i hate it um okay oh it's your Um, turn that reminds me. This is the. This is my last one okay. that I have. Um, it. You mentioned this a little bit, but uh, when the messaging is associated with a product that you have to purchase in order to benefit from yeah. the advice, that is a huge totally. like for me. Like we talked about that when we talked talked about the F Factor diet. Yeah, and yeah. How they like sell their own crackers or whatever, and so many other diets do the same thing. So many people online are um, sponsors of some sort of like awful diet culture product that they want you to buy in order to benefit from whatever tip they're giving you uh, so that they can make a commission. Um, that reminds... You shouldn't have to pay your way to sure. health. I agree. That reminds me of um, a lot of like a lot of the multi-level marketing businesses like Arbonne. They have like their 30-day healthy living challenge or something like that. And basically it's like 30 days of using Arbonne products like you have what's arbonne it's like arbonne is that makeup it i think it used to be makeup it it is makeup but now they have like nutrition products do you know what i don't understand about multi-level marketing things there's one that's like um spices or like seasoning and i'm like oh is it epicure (laughs) have you been to I, yeah, I don't have know you much been about to the that. store? <laughs> like, they, they have that. Yeah, you can buy that <laughs> well, at the store. I, I, I've been buying that stuff for years. <laughs> like, I, I don't understand. Like, there, I guess, like, for some things, like, there's some multi-level marketing things are selling, like, products that you can't buy at stores. Right. Like, whether or not it's shampoos sure, or whatever. Right. Yeah, it's not in-store. Yeah. Like, I'm not into that. But they're, like, not found at the store. But it's, like, buy cajun spice so like, oh you can get that <laughs> they have cajun spice at the store yeah. i don't i don't need to buy it from you i don't i don't is what i don't, I don't get, get it. it like i don't know what is the draw no idea no okay. fucking clue i'm saying at the f word a lot in this episode <laughs> well i mean it I, yeah i just it's so like confusing yeah. um i yeah it's over my head for sure um okay i have a couple more so i'll run through them quickly okay. Okay, so this is a big one, but basically, like, if it has to convince you it's not a diet, it's probably a diet. So if they're like, it's not oh, a diet, sure. it's a lifestyle change, it's probably a diet. Yeah. Um, sure. Okay, anything that requires you to, like, count anything, so whether it's macros, calories, vegetables, almonds, grams of sugar, like, 
that's right. a red flag for me. Like if you have to count things out or measure things out to a T, that's a red flag. Um, and then this one, oh, okay, sorry. I just saw one that I skipped over. Um, anything that like, tr- again, kind of like it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle, but it's like claims like no fad diets or no gimmicks here, but then like goes on to like make you track calories or like make you, um, you know, cut out certain right. foods. One similar, in, uh, particularly that comes to mind. I don't know if you've heard of it, but Noom. Oh yeah. The psychologist yes. recommended way. Of yes. Eat 700 it's all about behavior change. Things yeah. Except instead of one. Brownie, yeah. And you'll feel so yeah. full and happy. Yeah. That's yeah. And basically I haven't looked too much into it, but like, I know that their marketing is all around like, psychology based behavior change and by psychology based weight loss and like totally not a diet and like they actually like have somehow like used keywords like intuitive eating and non-diet and things like that so that like when you google non-diet something or yeah, noom comes up as like one of the first things which is crazy um but basically from from other dietitians i've, I've heard that essentially it's like calorie tracking and like tracking is, all your food yeah. So, yeah. yeah. They're trying to move you away from, like, calorie-dense foods yeah. to, yeah. I don't know, non-dense yeah. foods. And that's somehow supposed to make you feel more satisfied. Exactly. It's, that actually reminds me, and I was going to talk about this um, as, like, one specific point. But I watched this YouTube video the other day because it just came it, for some reason it came up as like something recommended for me to watch and and um i don't i have no idea why actually maybe i do know why one of my youtube recommendations are like if you belong to like one political party youtube recommendations are like come to the other side oh, that, really? that is what youtube recommend oh, you don't know but like you know yeah. what i mean like i feel like youtube recommendations are like like this is what you've been watching like right oh maybe well i I think it actually might be because one of my really good friends live is a vegan youtuber and i was watching some of her videos and then i got like a recommendation to watch this (laughs) just like carnivore (laughs) i got a a recommendation to watch another vegan youtuber's video and it popped up and it was like i did this one thing and i lost 20 pounds so i was like okay let me give this like let me see what the hell this is you you took your clothes off (laughs) (laughs) um and basically this youtuber went on to say that like the one thing she did was eat every single meal with she made sure at every single meal half of her plate was vegetables which is like, okay, okay, like, you know. People have been saying <laughs> right. that. But then she like went into like how it's all about caloric density and like she just, and I was like, okay. And then, oh, but then when she went to explain caloric density and it's it, like technically it's right, but she was like, caloric density is basically how many calories per pound of food. And then for the rest of the video, she literally just referred to every food, like, as like calories per pound. Per pound of broccoli. <laughs> but she was like, she said like, she was like, so you could eat, she was like, you could eat Ezekiel bread, and it's like one thousand two hundred calories per pound. And I was like, okay. Who eats a fucking pound of Ezekiel bread? <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> like, what the hell? Per, per metric ton of grapes, uh, you'll be consuming right. this many. I was calories. just like, so like she, like that's how she was determining what foods like were good and bad, like how many calories they were per pound. I love that. Like, I love that. <laughs> Anyways. I love that. So, energy. but then, but the thing that pissed me off is that like, she was like, so yeah, really like you don't have to do any like crazy counting <clears throat> or cut anything out. And she was like, oh, she like rolled her eyes and she was like, oh, diet culture. <laughs> yeah. Dude, don't worry about counting or di- or what a diet culture is like. Just look at per pound how many calories <laughs> you're feeding. Anyways, I was just like, I cannot. Like, I was like, I need to talk about this because this is ridiculous. Anyways. I, yeah. So that was my last one. Um, hopefully. You know, I, I just yeah. wanted to say really quickly, like, I think for me, the major thread between everything that we were talking about with the red flags is that taking care of your health is not 
is not a quick there's no quick fix and it should be an extended conversation that hopefully you're having with um, a, an accredited professional like a dietitian or um, a physician and it's not something that like, at least from what I've learned from the research and and what we talk about on the podcast, it's not something that you start on day zero and then like from then on, like your life is going to be absolutely right. perfect moving forward and you're going to have the exact outcomes you want. It's um, it, it's a really extended conversation that involves, um, I don't know, work and effort and uh, and anyone who's trying to sell a quick fix is just trying to make a buck. Both Totally. Time. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree with that. Um, I hope that, I don't know, I hope this guy's gave you some things to kind of look out for um, when you're on social media and anywhere else, um, you know, at a certain gym or, you know, you're looking to sign up for some sort of fitness program or something like that. Hopefully these things can give you, yeah, just some keywords and um, things to look for that, you know, might actually not be what you're looking for. If um, you know, the, yeah. the, a non-diet approach to health and wellness is something that you are looking for. Nobody should be shamed for yeah, like the dietary practices that they are. I agree. You know, that they practice. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, Tarek, what's been tasty for you this week? Well, what's been tasty for me this week? I um, I made two chocolate ganache Ugh, almond crust. They looked amazing. Tarts. Thank you. I made one for a physically distant family dinner that I had, and then I made one for a physically distant um, family dinner of Thomas's that I had. Um, and it was good, and it was fun, and it, it was just nice to have, like, um, kind of a little bit of a luxurious dessert. Cause I oh, my gosh, yeah, it looked amazing. It looked Thank so you. good. Did you have a physically distant dinner with the McIsaacs? Yeah. Ah, when? Oh, did no. you not know? <laughs> uh, we had dinner on uh, Monday. Oh, I'm so sad. Oh, I'm no, so sorry. it's okay. <laughs> I thought we told. No, I didn't. I don't. Maybe you told Pat. I didn't know. Um, aw, I'm sad that we missed it. We miss yeah. you. I mean, the whole time I was just thinking. I know. You know, the podcast was born on that. Patio. It was. You're so right. Yeah. For everybody listening. Close your eyes. Think of a Betty Ann's patio deck. Betty Ann's patio. That's where the podcast. It was. Going. Yeah, you're right. We were sitting there in those chairs, and we were like, "Are we starting a podcast?" It's like on. Did yeah. you ever watch um, Step Brothers? Um, no. And it's like, do we just become best friends? And they're like, "Yeah." It's like, are we starting a podcast? <laughs> you know what's funny about that is we said, "Are we starting a podcast?" And then we actually yeah. did. Yeah, we did. We totally did. <laughs> How many times have I? Oh my god, I know. Talked to somebody, and we're like, "Are we doing this project?" Like, yeah, we're yeah, so amped. I know, totally, happens. yeah. Hannah, what's been tasty for you this what's week? What's been tasty for me this week is, it's simple, but basil pesto. I love pesto. Do you love pesto? Oh, I like, love pesto. I, I mean, could eat pesto with a spoon. Unsubscribe if you don't love yeah, pesto. Yeah, totally. It's like, I just, <laughs> I don't know what it is about. I guess maybe it's just like the garlic and the olive oil and the base, fresh basil blended up and like, Oh my god, Parmesan cheese! Like that's all the things I love in in a it's sauce. It's so good. Yeah, and you know, if people can't find pine nuts, you can use. Other oh my god, nuts yeah, I use walnuts. I use pesto. pumpkin seeds or pepitas, whatever you call them. I've used peanuts before. Oh peanuts are full <laughs> of oil. Why? No, it tastes really. Bad. It didn't taste like peanut butter. Yes. No. Okay. <laughs> for some, I just don't yuck. Don't I yuck know, my I know, yum. I'm sorry. Um, I just, for some reason, peanuts like I just feel like they have a specific taste. Like a lot, like walnuts you know are pretty it, mild, pecans are pretty mild, but I feel like peanuts are very like I don't know. You know what I've made before? I've made kale pesto mm. with peanuts. Oh, see, the, I'm getting turned. I'm getting turned <laughs> off by the peanuts. I'm okay with kale, but I put spinach in my pesto. <laughs> Um, along with the basil, um, but no, you're right. Pesto is amazing. Pesto is so good. Like especially, um, you know what I love? I love uh, a pizza without tomato sauce. Oh, me pesto. too. I would. I think I would rather have pizza with pesto. Love, yeah. 
Love, love, also, love. Love that even more than a white I have pizza. one tip that I learned. It's kind of like super not classy, but it's a... Doctors are avoiding telling you this <laughs> one tip about pesto. <laughs> the one thing... Scientists don't want you to know about this the one The one tip pesto. that scientists don't want you to know. <laughs> the one pesto t- um, tip. <laughs> I learned this from a friend, actually, when I was in my dietetic internship. But she would, to her pesto pasta, when she was adding the pesto, she'd add like a big spoonful of cream cheese and mix it all in together so it was like uh, yum. it's so oh good God. it's like a creamy pesto sauce. silky yeah, dream yeah. Oh it's so God. good it's like super again like i said it's like not classy you just like whip out a spoonful of cream cheese but i'm also just like i haven't had cream cheese in seven thousand years I don't know. I don't buy we it. We buy it every week. I eat it all the time. What do you bagels? put it on? What do you put it on? Okay. Bagels, bread. Um, <laughs> I put it in my pesto pasta. Patrick made pesto pasta on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure you can make some I love some that. Sort of tongue twister. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I guess that concludes the episode. Can I, I just want to do a, a quick shout out because we promised we were going to start doing this and we hope we get more. Oh, yes. Live underscore four underscore my underscore music. Oh, my God. That username rolls up the tip of my tongue. It's, you know, sometimes you see something and you're like, I've never witnessed such beauty before. And I, I that just username. love that username. Live for my music. <clears throat> so they say, love. Hannah and Tarek deal with such common diet culture topics with so much grace. Oh, my. Okay. You're obsessed with me. Thank you. Um, So informative and delivered with compassion. Thank you, Live For My Music. And I hope, I hope that music is, um, I don't know, Green Day, because that's what I like. And I hope that's what you like too. I'm nodding. Yes. (laughs) Oh, I love that. That's so sweet. Um, Yeah, if you haven't, please leave us a rating and a review. Follow us on our social pages. And watch on YouTube because it's just getting weirder by the minute i'm on i'm sitting on the the ground of my of my living room because my i don't have a desk in the living room anymore the the cats have absolutely been up in my business this whole time but i've stayed professional eyes at the camera you have yeah i didn't even notice the cats like nothing's happening pretending like nothing's happening that's kind of kind of professional quality podcasting that you get out of this yeah and if you guys follow us and watch on youtube you can see my (laughs) period sweater and my new blue light blocking glasses (laughs) And if you use offer code NOBS <laughs> at uh, <laughs> you get those blue light club blocking glasses for free. Um, and if you didn't catch that website that I just said, it's because I didn't say one because we don't have a sponsorship no. with an eyeglass company. One day, but we're absolutely—I'm absolutely willing to sell out for that. But I will not promote blue light blocking glasses for a health outcome because there is no clinical evidence. I agree. Sorry to burst that bubble, everybody. I, I honestly, I will say, I did not buy them for any sort of health outcome. I bought them because i wanted a pair of glasses to wear do you know what i like there's you know what i love my favorite glasses are so we have to like end this yeah. episode. but i love um <laughs> i love there's glasses they're called like hd glasses like you can see in hd <laughs> what the hell like you've you've been if you, you've been seeing in the most hd that you can see your entire life if you have corrective lenses like whatever whatever glasses these are like they're not hd anyway on that note i absolutely love roxanne gay leave us a review subscribe like this on youtube um tell your parents about it tell your your um your little sibling about it tell your cousins (laughs) about us okay people aren't talking to their cousins enough they're not worried about that they're not people aren't talking to their cousins so thank you for that we love you and live for my music we are waiting for that next yep. review i need to know what music you're listening to is it jazz do you listen to ramba okay i've got to go because i had an energy drink and it's really I coming through tell. now and i really should have maybe had it half no an hour shit. earlier because the podcast would have been a di- di- really different experience but on that note we're signing off we love you so much bye guys okay bye <laughs>